Well, before we start the sermon, I want to play a little I Spy. Um, do you spy anything new on the stage? A cross. Yeah. So Steve and Amy arranged for a woodworker friend to make a beautiful cross out of mahogany and maple. And uh, so pretty, pretty awesome. Just reminder of um, the center of our church, Christ-centered, what Christ, who Christ is, what he's done uh, at the cross. And uh, so it's kind of fun to, to have that. Thanks. We appreciate that. We're continuing through the creed. Oh, so slowly. We'll, we'll, we'll pick up the pace next week, but wanted to set some good foundation. So we started with, uh, I believe in God, and uh, we filled up that word believe with uh, biblical understanding of believe and faith. Uh, you can always go back and listen, and listen to these if you, if you weren't here or weren't able to, to hear this, but that that's really was the, the laying the foundation there. And then understanding God as the Father. Uh, last week, as, as one who has adopted us, who loves us unconditionally, uh, and then today, uh, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And this probably seems like basic information, because it is. Uh, this is partly what this creed is about. Uh, it was used in the ancient church to prepare baptismal candidates that were going to be baptized into the church, to make sure they knew the basics of the Christian faith. And so if um, you're here this morning, you probably believe there's a God and uh, that He made heaven and earth. You probably believe that He is almighty, that He is the highest power over all the other powers. Um, and you'd be right. Um, but as we go through the difficulties of our day-to-day -day life, uh, His almightiness can sometimes be called into question. I don't know if you noticed, there's a lot of bad stuff going on in the world. There's a lot of bad stuff going on in our own lives and even in our own hearts. And so it's one thing to hear about God as the Almighty, but then to juxtapose that with all the craziness that's going on near and far, uh, it can start to call into question, right? And so we, we want to understand what's going on in the world and the almightiness of God. And Psalm 2 is going to help us. This is one crazy psalm, and uh, uh, I, I think it really does answer these questions of what's going on in the world and what's going on with the almightiness of God. So three points, every sermon has three points. No, not every sermon has three points, but this one does. The state of the earth, the state of heaven, and when heaven and earth collide. These three things are at least addressed in this uh, Psalm 2. So, state of the earth. Psalm 2, verse 1, why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? Um, state of the earth, it's not good. It's not good. Uh, the nations, the peoples, they are raging, uh, meaning they're creating a commotion of noise and destruction. Uh, about 10 years ago at the University of Massachusetts, for some reason, students were wanting to riot on a fairly regular basis. And um, this is one of the pictures that was in the, uh, our daily uh, gazette, uh, and it's in the middle of the largest uh, dorm area. And uh, they're just uh, celebrating the Red Sox winning or 
the Red Sox losing or uh, the Patriots winning. It, it just didn't matter if it was a win or a loss. or uh, It was something that they would go out and they would riot. And I mean burn down trees and turn over police cars. It was like a contest between us and University of uh, Wisconsin in Madison for the greatest rioting uh, university in the nation. And I would sit in these meetings uh, that were for the chaplains of, of, of UMass and the administrators would come in and they would be like, why are the students raging? <laughs> why are they rioting? You know, and I'm like, sin? You know, like, I, I've got some, uh, got some reasons over here. Um, but, you know, they weren't too interested in those, in those region, reasons. Now, not only are they raging, but they're plotting. They're plotting. Uh, that word translated plotting, literally, uh, it, it means meditating, and it's the word in Psalm 1, in Psalm 1, verse 2, where it says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. It's the same word. And it, it portrays the nations and the peoples just obsessively thinking about plans, Right? They're, 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 they're meditating, they're plotting. And it's uh, something about human beings. If we're not meditating on God and His law, we're meditating on something. We're always meditating on something. We're always plotting to get something, right? Rest or money or a relationship or a new home or candy. My wife's uh, seventh grade English, one of her uh, classes, uh, is so bad that they have to be given candy to do any work. They have to be bribed. And so we've been, I mean, we've never bought so much candy. We, we, we've been going to Target, H-E-B, Walmart, just looking for the cheap candy. We ordered some online. And so Melanie has like these big vats of, of candy in her room. And uh, these kids are like, write one sentence. I'm like, can I get some candy? No. And um, they see those big vats, and they had been plotting how they could get those vats. So, so most of the time, they're raging, right? They're jumping around. They won't sit still. They're cussing out their teacher, who is my wife. It's not good. Um, and, and, but, but at the same time, they're plotting. And so a couple weeks ago, Melanie has to step outside with a, with a student, which happens often, and she's trying to correct the student, talk to the student. Well, they had been plotting what they were going to do when the teacher left the room. And so two, two students went to those large baskets of candy, and they got all the candy, and they threw it out into the class, and the rest of the classroom grabbed the candy, and they all stuck it in their uh, backpacks. And then my wife comes in, and it's like quiet. And she's like, uh-oh, what's going on? And then she sees the candy is gone. And uh, how she handled it was brilliant. You can ask her later. But these raging, plotting Kids, they come by it pretty naturally. This is human beings apart from God. This is what we do. We rage. We plot. And you think, well, if they just had some good rulers, right? Whip them into shape. And we read about the rulers. Verse 2, the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying... Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. So the kings, the rulers, they set or install themselves over and against 
God. Not only that, they take counsel together. They create alliances to gain more power for themselves. And power over whom? Against the Lord and against His anointed. They're seeking to overthrow the rule and the reign of God, which includes God's king. That's what His anointed Means And Psalm 2 was probably written as a coronation psalm. When a new Israelite king was coming into power, this would be read as a coronation psalm. Uh, if you saw any of, of uh, Joe Biden's inauguration, he had a poet who gave a, a, a poem that she had written for the inauguration, a way to celebrate the inauguration of a new president. And so Psalm 2, something similar going on here with the inauguration of Israel's King and the psalm acknowledges that Israel is surrounded by these raging peoples that want to hurt uh, Israel. And it may seem strange that it's saying it wants to hurt the king, but it also wants to hurt and go against God. But wars in the ancient world were always religious. There was no secularism in the ancient world, everyone was religious. And so if you won a battle, it meant your God won a battle. And if you lost a battle, it meant your opponent's God had won a battle over and against your God. So winning, overpowering the king of Israel was overpowering God. On the other hand, it's not that strange as we see what's going on in our world today. We see things like the EU and the U.S., allying with Ukraine over and against Russia, and why are they doing that? Is that out of the goodness of their hearts? Probably not, right? Seeking power, seeking security, seeking, seeking safety, seeking wealth. Uh, even in our own country right now, we're moving towards the midterm elections, and groups are feverishly forming alliances to try to gain power. And these nations, these peoples... These kings, these rulers are seeking to overthrow God and His rule as described in Psalm 2. Uh, Jonathan Lehman, who has written a great little book called How the Nations Rage, and it's about religion and politics, and I, I think it's very helpful. Uh, but he says this about Psalm 2. He says, notice then how worship and rule belong together. The one who is most worthy of worship possesses the right to rule. And that's God. Sin begins with a desire to be worshipped, to be like God, and leads us to grab hold of the reins. And I ate. And it's talking about the fall of man, Genesis chapter 3. He also writes this regarding Psalm 2. History's greatest political rivalry, it would seem, is between the nations of the earth and the Messiah. And you start to see that in Psalm chapter 2. If you're not worshiping God, you are seeking to usurp His rule. Those two things are coupled, worship and rule, both as an individual and collectively as a people. Now, what does God think about all this? Well, we get a little glimpse of the state of heaven. Verse 4, he who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision, then He will speak to them in His wrath and terrify them in His fury, saying, and we'll get to that saying here 
in a minute. He's laughing. Um, why is he laughing? Because he's almighty. He's almighty, right? I mean, this would be like Gwen's middle school basketball team, as lovely as they are, saying to an NBA team, we're going to beat up you. We're going to beat you. We're going to take you down. That NBA team, um, as good as Gwen's team is, they would laugh. They would laugh, right? This is sort of like when you're three-year-old. The boys used to do this. They go, Dad, I'm going to beat you up. And you go, ha, yeah, okay. And you hold them by the head and they like do this thing, right? right? And there's something similar going on with, with God. It's, they can beat me up now, though, and that's a, that's a problem. Um, uh, something going on like this with God. He's, he's looking at these kings and these peoples and they're raging and they're plotting. And he's like, you can't, can't beat the Almighty. You're a joke. You're a joke. And this kind of thing is all over the Bible. Um, this vision of God sitting on His throne above everything as the Almighty. Uh, so many examples. Here's one, Isaiah 40, verse 21. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is He who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. God has no rival, not one. He laughs at those that seek to be his rival. He sits above, he's lofty, he's exalted, he has absolute dominion over all things seen and unseen. Part of this is because he created it all. Right? In the opening call to worship, uh, that was taken from Psalm 8, right? O Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You've set your glory above the heavens, right? It's lofty. It's above everything. He created everything. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you've established strength because of your foes to steal the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place... His almightiness is expressed in being the creator of heaven and earth. And this is what you see in the creed, right? I believe in God, the Father, almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Those things are, are coupled. But His almightiness is expressed in a different way in Psalm 2. And this is where we see heaven and, and earth collide, verse 6. As for me... I've set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell you of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessels. So he, in his almightiness, he sets a king. He installs a king and uses that same verbiage from the, the kings setting themselves above and against God. This king is called my son. He's said to be a begotten son. And he's installed or set as a king on Zion, on his holy hill, 
which is all symbols for Jerusalem, the holy city of God. And remember, this is a coronation psalm in the Old Testament. This is where the king would reside. Both uh, the, the, the priests and the king would reside in Jerusalem. And this king is told to ask for something, told to ask for the nations and the ends of the earth. And in this particular paragraph, told to dash them into pieces, right? God, again, doesn't seem to be very worried about those nations and peoples, those kings and rulers that are raging and plotting against Him. He, is, he has a plot of His own, and He is 100% sure that His plot is going to be carried out. He is almighty. But this collision is not just about judgment, although it includes judgment. It's also about an invitation to those kings and rulers, to those peoples and nations to come under His benevolent rule, right? Verse 10, now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry. And you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Almighty God extending an invitation to kings and rulers and peoples and nations uh, to, to come under his good rule. It says to these kings, be wise, be warned. That is the, a great synopsis of what's known as the wisdom literature in the Bible. Uh, books like Proverbs is like, be wise, as in Live in accordance with God's design, God's rule. And then be warned, if you don't, there's consequences. And so he's letting them know, hey, if you don't come under my rule, if you don't come under my reign, there's going to be consequences. Um, he says, kiss the son, right? He's talking about the king, uh, who is his begotten son. And, and this is description of a willing and glad surrender to the king, a submission that opens up relationship with God through the king, uh, something similar to a, a parent and a child. When the child is misbehaving and uh, you, you've given the child consequences and you've given the child correction and then... There's, there's a moment, hopefully, when the child realizes what they've done and they come into agreement with the parent and they say, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I, I realize now that I shouldn't have done that and I know it was wrong. And then there's a reestablishment of, of relationship, right? And this is what you see in, in, in this passage, God giving them the truth, like warning them and saying, this is what's going to happen if you don't re return to me. Um, but when they do return, it is a willing and glad submission. The invitation is to serve the Lord with both reverence and joy. You notice that? Talking about uh, serving Him reverently in, in fear, but also rejoicing. Right? Again, this is, a, this, this is a return to God and His King uh, that is relational and it is good. And, and it is a, a glory for God, but yet a good thing for kings and rulers and peoples and nations. And when we come under 
His rule and reign, when we seek to worship the one that is worthy of worship, we experience well-being and joy. Um, And there is no other option to find well-being and joy except under the rule and reign of God. He's not just one of many options. He's the only option. Uh, Derek Kidner, in his commentary on Psalm 2, he says this, There is no refuge from Him, only refuge in Him. That's a good word. Let me me read that again. There's no refuge from Him, only refuge in Him. When we lived in Oklahoma, um, there was tornadoes. We lived in an area they called Tornado Alley, and it was just a lot of tornadoes. And one day, uh, I was with a friend of mine, and we were headed to, to... to seminary to go to school, and we got caught in between, literally, it's like a movie, two tornadoes. So we had, we were running from one that, that was coming to Oklahoma City, and it was, it was one of the most powerful tornadoes in human history, and uh, we were like, we're out of here. So we get in the car, and we start heading home away from the tornado, and then another one pops up that's in front of us, right? And so we, we don't know what to do, and so we see a, a police officer stopping, taking refuge underneath uh, this, this bridge, and so we're like, well, we're going to do that too, and so we get up under this bridge, and I mean, it was some protection, but honestly, if that thing would have come towards us, it would have sucked us right out from under that bridge, right? And really, the only like truly safe place would have been in the very center of the tornado. That would have been the most peaceful and safe place. They actually call it the death zone, but it's like deadly quiet. Same thing in a, with, a, with a hurricane, in the center, it's quiet. <laughs> and so there's something similar going on here. It's like, you're telling me to go toward the one who has wrath? Yeah. The only refuge from that wrath is refuge in him. Right? And, and so this, it's counterintuitive, but this, this is a, a, a pattern, a, a truth in the Scriptures, and uh, hopefully it'll make more sense as we go through this, because... How you get into that place of safety from wrath in God is through His King. Right? Kiss the Son. How do, you, how do you get right with God? You get right through His King, through His Son. Now, who is this King? Is it David? Who might, probably wrote this, right? No, it's not David. Is it Solomon or King Ahab or Josiah? No, it's not those kings. Those kings pointed forward to a true and better king, and, and, and we know that this psalm is talking about that uh, partly because it's quoted in the book of Acts, and uh, this is such an interesting citation of, of Psalm 2, um, and I want you to actually look it up in your Bible because it's too long for me to put it on the screen. Acts chapter 4, verse 23, so when somebody finds it, could you just tell us what page it's on? Acts chapter 4. Starting with verse 23. 858. Acts 4.23. So what this is, is the first breakout of persecution against the early church. Right? Everything's been going great. 3,000 saved, baptized. Like, church is growing like crazy. They've got a radio ministry. And no, that, 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 that's not happening. But things are going really well. And then... They get in some trouble. They bring them in for questioning. Uh, they tell them, you better stop talking about Jesus or, you know, we're going to hurt you real bad. And it says in Acts 4, 23, when they were released, 
They went to their friends and they reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and they said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Okay? See what they're appealing to? Almighty God, maker of heaven and earth. Who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, and then they quote Psalm 2. Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. And then it goes on. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats. Grant to your servants to continue to speak your words with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. So, When they look at that Psalm 2 and they see that anointed king who is the begotten son of God, they go, that's Jesus. That's the king. And the Almighty used his almightiness to carry forward a plot, to carry forward a plan with absolute perfection. And what was that plan? For his son to become a human being. And not only the crazy Gentiles that were surrounding Israel, but Israel themselves getting together with the rulers of Herod and Pilate and raging and plotting against that one and only son and then crucifying that one and only son according to plan, according to the plan of Almighty God. And the result of something that seemed like absolute mass chaos brought about a savior king who was crucified in order to offer amnesty to usurpers like you and me. To warn us, but also to invite us to come out of that wrath and take refuge in God. Through Christ. The invitation is going out to all the nations. This is part of what's being prophesied in Psalm 2 is the nations coming to God through faith in Christ and becoming his possession. This is partly what Jesus is saying in places like Matthew 28 when the resurrected Christ is giving final instructions to his disciples, and he comes to his disciples, he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. That's an almighty statement right there. And then he follows that up with, go therefore and make disciples, right? And is it just Jews? No, it's the Jews and the nations, right? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. The anointed one, the begotten son, the king, the savior king. 
is extending his rule and his reign through the church as the church makes disciples of all nations. This isn't just a little church plant in Austin just hanging out. Like We're part of this plan that God has been carrying out with perfection through his church for the last 2,000 years and continues to do so here in Austin, Texas, as this church preaches that gospel, invites others to, quote, kiss the sun, and through the sun come, become right with God the Father. And it's, it's informing what we're doing here, right? We're not raging. We're not plotting. We're worshiping. I mean, we gathered here as, as a, a body of believers this morning to not rage against God, not plot against God, but to, to come under His rule and reign and to worship Him, the one true God. And we're seeking to extend that rule and reign throughout the city, throughout the world, by making disciples of others, inviting others into uh, this relationship with Christ. And so there's, there's some different ways to respond to this. I mean, one is may perhaps to take refuge in Him this morning for the first time, right? There is no refuge apart from Him, only in Him, through what Christ has done on the cross. Um, every one of us, if, if we're a Christian, we went from raging and plotting, and, and it might have not looked like a crowd of, you know, drunk students uh, tearing down flagpoles and turning over police cars, but make no mistake, we were plotting and raging to get what we wanted, and it was not God. Right? It wasn't to be under His good rule and reign. And then when we became a Christian, we, we turned from that, and we turned toward God through Christ and what He has done for us, and we kissed the Son. And it was a glad surrender. It was a glad surrender, and it was a place of life and of peace and of freedom. We can also take, take comfort in God's rule over the universe. When you're watching what feels like sometimes the world just going up in flames, just open up Psalm 2 and just read it. God's not looking at that going, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? This world is just off the rails. He, he's on his throne. He is almighty, and he created it. He started it according to plan. He's going to finish it according to plan. This is in the book of Revelation. I've been studying Revelation with a couple of the guys from the church, and you know, Jesus is like saying, I'm the alpha and the omega. It's his way of saying, I'm the, the beginning, and it began as planned, and it's going to finish as planned. And everything in the middle is going to happen according to plan, right? And we, we don't understand it, and we struggle with that, and, but, but we can know that at the, at the level of heaven, what's going on in heaven is absolute almightiness that's being carried out with perfection. And that's comforting. That's comforting uh, on a large scale. We ought to also respond by serving the Lord with fear and rejoicing, right? I, it's good to think of God as Father, and it's what we did last week, and how much He loves us and His unconditional adoption of us, all those things. We, we need to think on that and be encouraged by that. We also need to think of Him as Almighty. He is Almighty. 
And so coming under his rule and reign and doing so with reverence, right? Not fear that he's going to, you know, say, oh, you're not my kid anymore. You messed up too much. You're out. It's not that kind of fear. It's, it's a reverent fear, right? And it's done with rejoicing. Um, we also want to look forward and we want to work toward this plan that God is unfolding, right? I mean, this is one of the mysteries, right? Of, okay, God's got it all figured out. I can just like kick back on the couch and watch Netflix. I mean, what's the big deal? No, we're responsible to take our part in the plan that God is unfolding, right? And so we, we want to be a part of this gathering of the nations who are going to come through faith in the Son. And at the end of all days, this is what we're going to see, right? Revelation 7, this is John writing. He says, I look, behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Talking about God the Father and uh, Christ His Son. And so this is, this is the end of the plan, and it's going to happen, right? God's going to carry this out with 100% accuracy, and it's, it's going to happen. Um, but the way it's going to happen is He's going to use His church, right? Matthew 28, we just read it, right? All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go make disciples of all nations. So we're a part of this unfolding plan of the gathering of the nations to God through Christ. And so we look forward to that, and we also work toward that. All right, well, let's uh, stand up and let's declare our belief, if you feel comfortable doing this, in this Almighty God and His Son and the Spirit. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. The third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, from there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we do take comfort that you are the Almighty. And we confess to you it, it often feels like this world is, is just going down in flames, and in some ways it is, and yet you're carrying out a perfect plan, and you're good. Lord, we're so grateful that the one who has all power is all good and is exercising that power for good, for our good. And how you proved it as you used that raging 
mob led by plotting leaders to crucify your one and only son. And that just as Acts says, it, it was predestined by you. And you did it to save us and to save many others from the nations. So Lord, we are just in awe of what you've done in order to invite us into relationship with you. And I, I pray many in the city would hear that invitation and they would kiss the sun. And that many uh, who are from the nations in the city would also hear this good, good news and kiss the sun. That many others would be sent from this place and would go to the nations and be a part of this grand plan of yours to give the nations as an inheritance to your son. And for that day that we long for where every tribe and tongue and nation are surrounded, surrounding your throne, and they're worshiping the one who is their ruler, and they're not raging and plotting, but joyfully and reverently worshiping you. God thinks that we get to glimpse that in our church experience, even now as we sing this final song, that we get to worship you, the one who is our good king. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.